This is Art House Roadshow, a podcast on film, faith, and mental health with your hosts, Kyle Myers and Hank Spaulding. Today's episode is a MacGuffin with Hank Spaulding. Welcome back, movie nerds. This is Hank with the Art House Roadshow. Before we dive in with Luke on the Star Wars podcast, I just want to come on and say another quick apology. Uh, first of all, this took so long to get up, and then also uh, that it might have some misstated information so if you hear anything about future podcasts that we've already actually done in this podcast just please disregard that uh, we have covered Joan of Arc and Terrence Malick they're both up on the podcast feed now you can check those out right now if you want and we'll be back um, in May to cover Beasts of No Nation but please for now enjoy this conversation on Star Wars the original trilogy And welcome back, movie nerds, to another episode of the Art House Roadshow. Today's episode is continuing in our Star Wars MacGuffin series. I am joined yet again by my good friend uh, Luke Harbaugh, who's going to take us through um, these uh, these movies with us. Today, we're actually getting to start talking about specific movies and doing a little bit deeper dive dives into some some trilogies. And so, we're going to start in um a release order with the original trilogy and then next time you'll hear us going through the prequels but today we're going to go through the canon within the canon um that story uh that set of stories that kind of makes star wars star wars in a lot of really important ways and so um yeah how are we doing tonight luke doing great thanks for having me back excited to talk some more star wars yeah, it's great. It's one of those things that like we've been talking about Star Wars for like a decade. <laughs> and so it's it's I mean, and, and that's just with each other. But before that, we've been I mean, most of our lives. And so it's interesting to finally put to words some of the stuff we've been thinking about. all. And, and I've been thinking about this, too, like as we've been discussing this, like we are looking down the well of Star Wars from the perspective of of you know i don't really know much of where star wars is going to go after this especially like film wise that's still up in the air but like we're anticipating obi-wan this is all in in anticipation of the release of obi-wan which is kind of a culmination of a lot of the original trilogy uh, sequel stuff i think would be justified to say in there too but you know also the prequels um and so we're kind of looking down at like a, a long history of stories and movies and things that are are just available to us and and really all of that is related just to one film that's released in the 70s uh by a young usc graduate george lucas um who shops around this film to all these different movie studios and finally 20th century fox um decides to take a chance on it 
Uh, so and they were so convinced that it wasn't going to work, they signed over all of the rights to merchandising to him and then stuff like that. Um, those fools. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we get this, but you know, um, the original trilogy comes out. I mean, it starts with a new hope, which is was just called Star Wars back in the day. It released it released at Grauman's Theater, which I've I have now been there, <laughs> and it's really cool to see like Mark Hamill's uh, handprints, you know, uh, in the cement there. Um, but yeah, so, so what are your thoughts kind of on this original trilogy? I know this is where we both started, so it's lots of warm fuzzies when it comes to these three movies. It is lots of warm fuzzies. Um, you know, my opinion of them have ch- has changed as I've gotten older. Uh, you know, when I was a kid, Return of the Jedi was my favorite because mm-hmm. it had the most action, you know, and I just oh, really, I would, I, oh man, I remember either just fast forwarding to like the sail barge scene or fast forwarding to the, to the fight between Luke and Vader. There was also this book that I got repeatedly from the library. That was like the return of the Jedi book that had like pictures in it from the movie. And just that image of like Luke Skywalker with the green lightsaber was just awesome. And so like return of the Jedi, I was like, that's easily the best one when I was younger. And as you get older, right, you start to see the cracks in, in the actual storytelling and the movies themselves. So my opinion has changed um, and now I, I fall pretty much where most people do that. Like empire strikes back is kind of the pinnacle of star Wars, um, with a new hope kind of in its closely in its tracks. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, you talked about kind of staring down the well of this long history. I just turned 35 a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. star Wars is 45 years old. And so you figure for our entire lives, like this has been a driving cultural force, It kind of took a little bit of a break for maybe about 10 years between like 83 and 93. Um, But really for the majority of our lives, this, this has been like front and center over and over and over again in our culture. Um, And so, yeah, that those first three movies have shaped not only you and I and some of the things that we're into, but it's like shaped largely entertainment culture in general in the United States. Um, So if you don't know Star Wars at this point, like you're just in the words of Ben Wyatt outside of the zeitgeist. That's right. <laughs> That's so great. Uh, stay tuned for our, uh, our coverage and episode, episode by episode recap of parks and rec. That's right. Um, but you're absolutely right. I haven't, I hadn't thought about it that way. Like um, that, like really for our entire lives, this has been such a major thing. And a lot of people our age, like we're at the perfect age, like in some sense, I mean, obviously that's, that's probably why they did it, but you know, our parents and, you know, our older siblings were there when uh, star Wars was released and empire strikes back. And they were part of the original wave. Like they had the original toys and things like that, that Kenner produced and things like that. But then, you know, you get into the the nineties and, you know, we were largely missing that and there were other trends and things happening. And so, they decide to re-release them as the special edition. And then right after that, on the tails of that, they go right into the prequels and, you know, the rest is history. And it's kind of been this major cultural force all the way down. I mean, Mark Hamill was a, was largely an unknown actor. Um, Same with, you know, um, somebody like Harrison Ford and obviously Harrison Ford became like a superstar after these films. And, you know, I, I don't think it's fair to say that, Mark Hamill's the same level of kind of like fame as him, but I think that he's done a lot of stuff that's been really important, like the Joker in the animated series of Batman. And it's he's the voice of the Joker for a lot of people. But yeah, these films, 
set a standard with science fiction, but also storytelling and just the, <laughs> the fetishizing of like more movies about this same thing that now our culture just seems to, there's no original story to be told anymore in the way that star Wars was itself an original story. Um, but yeah, just kind of diving into some of these themes, we're not going to kind of go through it, but you know, you got this kid who's just out in the middle of the, of nowhere. You have no reason why until, you know, you watch the prequels, how he even gets there. Um, and a hermit and, you know, this, 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 uh, this guy with a, a rasp, like a raspy, um, like robot kind of like voice to him attacking uh princess Leia. it's just it's it's chaotic it's it opens in chaos right and it kind of moves into this story of destiny and things like that i mean like when you look at the original trilogy like what's the kind of the thread that kind of ties all this together for you i mean for me it was just always the story of luke skywalker um Mm -hmm. i think i think part of that was my name right like being named named luke i had this affinity for luke skywalker yeah Um, it's funny the two things you know that that i found my name in when i was a kid were star wars and the bible and those are like two things that are still really important to me so i don't know what was working subconsciously there but but his story his journey his development um you know and becoming eventually and i think that's one of the reasons why i love return of the jedi right is because it's it's luke at his peak hero-ness even though we see him be a hero at other times so that's really the the main thread that kind of tied everything together for me yeah it's interesting because like there's so many like this had run the risk of of being a mess but the story's just told so well like like we've said like it 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 knows what it needs to communicate and it communicates it well because i mean like you said if you if you just like explain like okay well there's this guy named darth vader and he comes onto the ship and he gets this woman who has who has these droids and they go down to this desert planet and there's this hermit and there's this you know sand people it's just crazy to think about all the things that are introduced within the first like 20 minutes of the film that you just are kind of okay with (laughs) like even the opening crawl like you have no context like at all to to understand exactly what 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 is what is this this even saying what are you talking about well you we know? take it we take it for granted right that like all these things exist but if you yeah. were watching this in the theaters especially in like 1977 had never seen any of this stuff before like yeah. you probably had one of two reactions i think most people obviously were sucked into it but either you were like this is the most ridiculous thing i've ever seen in my entire life and this movie is terrible like it got laughed out of the theater and when it was when it was originally um previewed right like i remember mark hamill tells the story that like i've seen him tell it multiple times where like he was in a theater where they showed the trailer for star wars and somebody laughed after it was over and he's like this does not bode well so i think you're like what is this this is bizarre or you just get so pulled into all that newness and we take it for granted but like it 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 was all brand new stuff right like in 1977 um and that's that's i wish i could go back into like myself the first time I saw Star Wars, remember that was when I was like five or six years old, you know, and see it all kind of for the first time. Oh yeah, no, I I, I love that. I wish that you could do that for like movies that have moved you um, to be able to experience it again for the first time. There's kind of this reoccurrence, um, but like I every time I watch Star Wars, um, and I think this is one thing that really that is also like an unsung hero of the film franchise is the score you know like the music of star wars like just that opening you know credit scene that the bomb and then like the build up and 
bum, 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 bum. And it just goes into that, that really important. I mean, because what movies really have that much reading involved before a film, but you're drawn in because of the epicness of it, because of the film. And then, you know, you're introduced to Luke and there's this musical kind of montage that's associated with him. And like when, like we talked about in our last uh, MacGuffin here, you know, when he stares out at those, at those sons, like there's something really powerful about that. You just met this character and you're just there. Like you feel that moment. I just always felt like the music captured so very well. I mean, John Williams is just a brilliant composer. I mean, so many, so many classic movie scores have been done by him. Everything from this movie to Jurassic Park to E.T., all the way to Harry Potter, you know, like so much of our classic musical um, like associations have to do with John Williams. But like he captures the moment so well um in ways that are just are constantly surprising like the scores are just just so well done there's this there's this funny moment um in the special features on the i think it's on the episode one dvd where george lucas like they're doing a preview screening of the phantom menace and george lucas is looking kind of sheepish i think it might be in the same like set of scenes where he says I may have gone too far in a few places. So he's like realizing like, oh, this, this might not work as well as I thought it was going to. But he makes the joke. He says that doesn't matter because everybody's just listening to the music anyway, right? So th- there's like this acknowledgement that it's, I mean, the score as drives so much of the movie. And, and when you hear it, you know it, you know, like Jurassic Park or like Indiana Jones or some of the other things that John Williams has done. Like you... I mean, if you listen to the soundtrack, you can see the scene play out in your head. It's that yeah. like closely knit together. Yeah, beautiful. And I, I think that you know, what say what you will about the sequels, which you know we'll talk about in our in the due course. Those scores hold up too, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I like the Ray, even Ray's theme, like that kind of like curious, like um, kind of like high po- positive kind of sound that really associates us with Ray um, is, is so great. In the same way, the force melody just really brings us into the story of Luke here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just captured so well. Um, like music done right can really do that. So John Williams in some sense, like saves a lot of these films <laughs> for a lot of people because you do, you do hear those things, but, uh, and there's just, yeah, there's so many iconic things, but yeah. So, I mean, you got the story of Luke Skywalker and he's introduced here. I mean, there's a lot of other side characters too. And I mean, we'll leave out Leia and Han who themselves cannot be justifiably considered side characters, but there's a lot of side characters here too, that make this film, um, not just the new hope, but all of the films just so good, you know, and one of which for me has always been Alec Guinness and Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? because he's this hermit you know they they talk about and i always loved what the uh like the blue harvest uh spoof of star wars did it's like oh uh, obi-wan kenobi i wonder if they mean old obi-wan kenobi because it's clear like clear that like this guy that you know is ben kenobi out there is actually obi-wan kenobi like it's it's obvious there's not many people in this desert this droid dropped out of the sky clearly it has to do with this one person but like, there's that fascinating piece, this old hermit that is out there that seems wise, that knows how to work an R2 unit and, you know, is talks about Luke's father. It's just, it's kind of, it's, it's interesting. Um, and for me, he was always that kind of character. 
And I think, like you said, like it was very much the story of Luke Skywalker. Like I didn't give a rip about Obi-Wan Kenobi when I was a kid. Like he was just that punk that got destroyed by, uh, uh, by Darth Vader in the opening, uh, in the opening movie and was just kind of an annoying force ghost the rest of the films. But as I get older, I appreciate more and more Obi-Wan Kenobi. And I think it's especially as they've gone through and had him younger with Ewan McGregor. And this is what we're heading to with this show that's coming out in May. Like he, for me, I think is peak Jedi in a lot of ways. He goes through the defeat. He lives in the high moments, but he's also always willing to exercise what is asked of him like he's all he's he's willing to go help out leia um and join the the rebellion you know and fight against darth vader um so anyway but yeah like i mean what what were your kind of thoughts i mean are there other characters maybe like obi-wan spoke to you at all but like were there other characters that were kind of like really important for you in this trilogy this original trilogy there's one particular the the one particular scene with obi-wan that jumps out to me that i still remember so well is is the one when they're in the hut right and he gives luke skywalker his his father's lightsaber and and all those kind of things and there's just a series right of of like multiple things that he says that it just like draws you in and that's why he's so what's why he's such an important character um in a new hope right because he talks about the force and it's like what's the force you know and and introduces that uh, he gives obviously Luke his father's lightsaber, and so you you set up this mystery of like who's Luke's father and how's that going to play in, and then in addition to that, um, you know he talks about the Clone Wars, and I, I we had no idea what the Clone Wars were at that oh, point, yeah. like the first time that you see A New Hope, and I remember having kind of images of what that looked like in in my head when I was younger, and so he sets up with all these huge mysteries that are have been unfolding now for 45 years that's right um, in in terms of answering those questions so so yeah i mean i was the same way i didn't really care that much about obi-wan when i was a kid but as i've gotten older and because of ewan mcgregor's portrayal of him as well and clone wars cartoon like i've grown in love with obi-wan to the to the point almost now where he's almost my favorite character like he he may be at that at that level um in terms of other characters in in a new hope you know um, one that I think is a little bit under the radar is Tarkin. Um, oh, yeah. He's, I mean, if, if you don't know kind of his background, right? Like he was uh, in a lot of monster movies uh, in his career. And he actually acted alongside Christopher Lee, who played Count Dooku um, in uh, the prequel trilogy in a couple of movies. And he's just like this old British like well-seasoned actor really similarly to like Alec Guinness mm-hmm. you know, who, who infamously hated Star Wars. That's <laughs> right. That's like, right. This is the thing everybody knows me. It's like, I was on bridge of the, or bridge on the river Kwai. Like, and do you remember me as Obi-Wan? I hate you. That's um, right. But like Tarkin is, is such a good character because he's, he pulls the, the, the strings on Vader, which is a power dynamic that they change in the later movies. But you can kind of see that he keeps Vader on a leash a little bit, as Princess Leia says. Um, but he is kind of the quintessential, just hateable villain, right? Like, he's British, and he's, right. uh, he's very clearly a Nazi, and very clearly, yeah. like, just has no compassion. And um, is just a really good foil. For, for, for somebody who really doesn't do that much other than stand there and give a few orders, you know, he really does play a great 
kind of intimidating villain. The best scene I think is where he's um, with Princess Leia and Vader, you know, and he, he kind of gets in Leia's face and Leia like backs up into Darth Vader's chest, you know, and he's like, you know, we'll deal with your rebel friends soon enough. Um, and he's just, he's just a good kind of scary British villain for that movie. Yeah, I love that you bring up the whole like clearly a Nazi thing because uh, one thing that like especially a New Hope is not shy away from like I mean in some sense there's there's no subtlety to this in George Lucas's storytelling. The fact that the stormtroopers are called stormtroopers is a right. direct parallel to uh, the German you know soldiers and things like that, and so it's it's fascinating to see. I love how you talk about like Obi Wan you know, giving these these kind of like. Um, uh, like statements that are kind of unfolded but you know it, like all throughout the first like half of this movie they just it's just like littered with gold that they're gonna pick up in for the later part of the movie uh, for the later part of the um i mean the last 45 years like you've said i mean even tarkin when the, like there's that kind of throwaway line where the emperor has like finally dissolved the galactic senate you know like there's that line and the fear of this space station is going to um keep all of the local governors in line i mean that is that's so crazy like you have no idea like i never really paid attention to that until i saw the prequels i was like this is what he dissolved like how do you do that this is a major political body even as a middle schooler it's like that seems whoa <laughs> and things like that that's pretty that's pretty incredible and so like it's just there's all kinds of stuff that they're still going i mean like for example the entire movie rogue one is based on a single part of the opening crawl of star wars and they have a whole movie in like character set and and villains that are entirely from that statement and it's just it's all right there in the first 30 40 minutes of the movie um, and we're still dealing with it because Obi-Wan, like that show is in some sense anticipating what Alec Guinness does, anticipating what Tarkin's going to be, anticipating what Vader's going to look like, all in those things. And it's so, fa it's fantastic. I don't know um, if it's just because it's just that good, like that opening scene. In some sense, like if, if it was made today, like if they ever remade the trilogy, which God, I hope they don't do that. Um, <laughs> but if they ever remade it, like that, luke meeting and connecting with kenobi would happen much slower like it would like i mean in some sense he 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 gets knocked over the head by some sand people uh, which have gone through some very interesting character development themselves in this in the disney trilogy that's very interesting um knocked on the head by a, a sand person picked up by ben and then he learns all this information about his dad about the force about the clone wars but like it's super fast it's within five minutes of dialogue um, but yeah, Tarkin, that's, that's actually a really good one. I really like that you picked up Tarkin because that's, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought to pick up Tarkin in that. Cause that is such an interesting character. I really like that. Um, well, let's go ahead and ask about the other main two characters. What do you think about Han Solo and Leia Organa at this point? You know, since the Luke Skywalker got grown up that they were kind of ancillary to me. Like, I, you know, people talked about how much they loved Han Solo. I was like, I could give less of a rip about Han Solo. That's right. um, but again, like as I've gotten older and I've I've understood the movies more, right? Beyond just um, the the cool stuff that Luke did, like I've I've grown in my appreciation for for both of them. You know, I mean, Han Solo, Harrison Ford in that role has become the archetype, like right, for like the Harrison Ford Han Solo type character. Um, 
you know, Star Lord from the MCU is that character. Yeah. Um, you know, even again to go back to Chris Pratt, like his character in Jurassic World, like is Very that good. character. Um, you know, you see it over and over again that like the way that character was written, but even more so, I think Harrison Ford's delivery of that character, like has just defined that mm-hmm. kind of smuggler uh role cocksure like um yeah of the best kind of attitude and it's funny because star wars i feel like has finally started to let it go which is good but i felt like for a while they got stuck in that like if you were going to have a character in a star wars thing you needed a smuggler who was exactly like han solo that's right Um, yeah and i'm like no i mean there's only one han solo so yeah Um, yeah, and then Leia, right? Leia is, is really the one that kind of holds the whole thing together. And people make a really big deal out of Carrie Fisher, I think partially because she's passed on at this point. And but she was great in those roles. Like she really was. I mean, talk about like original female heroes, right? I mean, that scene when they're shooting it out with the stormtroopers before they jump into the into the garbage compactor. She, you know grabs the gun away and starts shooting down the hallway and into the garbage shoot flyboy and <laughs> you know like it's, she's just from the moment that she's rescued quote unquote is um just kind of a badass and that was different in 1977 you know um, yeah that, yeah i mean it's it's definitely a, a kind of move against the whole damsel in distress thing i love that um and, and it's so cool like it's funny you bring up like you bring up like Han Solo, right? And uh, I mean, Jin Erso is basically the the perfect marriage. Like if if Han Solo and Leia Organa had a kid, it would be Jin Erso. Like it's kind of like this tough, raggedy. Like I mean, she's got political aspirations because of her connection to the Empire itself, but also this kind of like smuggler outlaw kind of like personality. She's fantastic, and you know. Um, we'll talk about her in a second but like in the trilogy um, or we'll talk about her when we get to the interquels but like the trajectory of Han Solo I think is one of the most interesting pieces because in some sense I mean and this is a part of also Harrison Ford just kind of getting older but like his kind of like opening up to like become not just a smuggler anymore but to being um, like a general in the resistance and fighting for stuff that matters is so huge. And in, in some sense, like, I mean, and I don't want to talk too much about the sequels because we'll get there. Like the sequels undoes all the character development for all the major characters. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, one of the most difficult things for me to really get get behind in terms of those movies. Like, I mean, and they just, they try and dismiss it in a certain sense. Uh, the only person, the person who probably goes undergoes like the least amount of deformation is Leia. Cause she's always like, from the moment you meet her, she's fighting for the cause. And she does that through those entire three movies. And when you see her again, she's still doing that. So in some sense, like she's the one who goes leave, but Han Solo and Luke Skywalker, they go through these radical transformations with really not much of a reason why. Um, and we'll talk about that with the sequels, but in the, just the original trilogy, like the way that, both Luke and Han Solo themselves become more mature in very different ways. Um, you know, Han Solo is starting to care, like even right at the end of a new hope when he comes back to save Luke from Darth Vader and they blow up the death star. 
um, to him actually volunteering to lead the team down to Endor to take out the shield. I mean, he goes through this major transformation, um, which I've always found super compelling. Um, Leia being the only girl in the galaxy um, has, has always kind of been that way too. I mean, just this really tough, powerful woman that sets up a, like a, a new definitive kind of like way to be a woman in a sci-fi film. Uh, Cause usually the sci-fi film, like the woman is not really given that kind of like role. And so obviously like before her, you had like a Hura on in the original star Wars trilogy, uh, star Wars in the original star Trek show, just committed a major sin there. Um, but yeah, these characters undergo massive amounts of development. And the kid from the like the farthest point from the galaxy is the one that's brought to the center and you know saves the galaxy in a lot of sense. That that's always been really cool to me too. Like you don't have to be from the centermost planet, which we don't even find out about until, until the prequels. Uh, but you, you can come from anywhere and make a difference. That's that was that was always really cool to me too. Uh, but yeah, I mean, any thoughts on kind of the the development of these characters through the arc of this film? Yeah, I mean, there's this is for Leia in particular, right? This is two years before Ripley uh, in Alien. That's right. So, yeah. so she, in a, in a lot of ways, is like the like primeval female heroine in a, in a sci-fi movie. And what's interesting is for me, like you look across those three movies, and you said she kind of defies the idea of the damsel in distress. She's never the damsel in distress, right? So she kind of gets sidelined for the third act of, of A New Hope because uh, she's just kind of standing there watching everything happen because Luke is, is the centerpiece there. But like she's controlling kind of what happens on the Death Star. You get to Empire Strikes Back and, you know, she's in charge on Hoth and, you know, she fights back at the end, um, you know, when they're being rescued from, uh, from Darth Vader, uh, you know, and in the third one, you know, again, she's there at Java's palace, like disguised as a bounty hunter. You know, she kills Java the Hutt. Like, yeah. you know, uh, she and then she's part of the final battle there on Endora with Han. So the whole way through, they never ever reduce her to here's the pretty girl that needs to be rescued. Um, they set it up that way and then kind of subvert that in a new hope. But it's just cool, you know, that she was the very first. Oh yeah. You know, across all three movies, she never kind of becomes that. That's um, true. Yeah. I, I love that. Like they think you like, they even take you. So like the, you're right. The first one, like she's captured by Vader. You think she's going to get saved. She's actually the one who breaks them out in, uh, in empire strikes back, like on cloud city, you know, she seems to be the one that has to stay there, but she's the one who actually is the one who saves Luke by hearing him. And then in Jabba's palace, you know, she's kind of seen as this new, uh, this slave and she's the one who kills Java. Like she doesn't actually need anybody to set her free from that. Um, she, she kills Java and that's, that's fascinating. I think it's interesting. Like one of the elements I did appreciate about the special edition, I don't know if you feel this way too, is that they at least show you some aspect of how like certain characters like weave more throughout the story than we have. Cause Jabba the Hutt, for example, like we hear about Jabba um, at the beginning of I, th- I mean, near the beginning of, of A New Hope, you, you hear him in Empire Strikes Back. And um, ultimately, you know, you finally see him in Return of the Jedi. But the uh, thing that's really cool to me is that um, some of the elements of the special edition, like they, you actually see Jabba 
like out there kind of running into Han Solo. And that's, I think that's kind of, kind of interesting. And it's not just him. It's also Boba Fett, you know, he shows up in that, that scene as well. And so, you know, there's some stuff that I think is really cool. The continuity between the fact that Han Solo um, has this bounty over his head and the anxiety can be given to you right there at the beginning of that movie. Then it finally comes to that culmination when he's put in carbonite. Um, it's fascinating to me to kind of see how those characters weave in and out. But yeah, I mean, do you feel that way at all? Or am I, am I just like, am I totally off base here? No, I, I think you're right. I think those were some of the good changes. And uh, maybe in a couple of minutes, we should talk about the good and the bad of the special edition. That's right. Yeah. But I, but I think that that was one of the good changes um and even at that point like george lucas kind of had an idea of what was going on with uh, the prequel trilogy too so there's you know some prequel trilogy things that kind of get weaved in a little bit um into into the special editions like you know you see naboo um and you see the gungans you know at the end of return of the jedi when they're all celebrating the the fall of the empire um you know so i just think like it it was a perfect set of movies before and i think the special editions made them a little less perfect in some ways and like i said we can talk about that but there were some uh improvements that that i think were brought along with it and that scene with job of the hut is definitely one of them and what's interesting about that scene obviously is like they recorded that you know in 1975 or 1976 uh, but didn't have the technology to pull off what they wanted to pull off at the time you know so that's just that i always thought that was cool right it just kind of sat there for 20 some years and then oh, yeah. they said like let's pull this out and use it and insert it in the film and um i like skinny jabba that's kind of <laughs> like that's right. just, I, I want the i want the 60 minutes documentary on like what happened to jabba the hut right. between those two <laughs> movies crossfit jabba yeah um, his his uh his drug addiction or his you know yeah, he ate massive, pizza. massive that's weight gain. That's right. I love. Um, yeah, we. I think we do have to talk about that here in a second. I. I think it's. I mean, there's so much to talk about. We could do. We could do, like, three podcasts just on the trilogy. You know, in some sense, and I mean, there's no amount of time we could spend on it that could do it justice because there's so many things there that are kind of seeds and and. Like, I mean, for example, like just if you look at just even the cockpit of the Falcon, like the the you have the gold dice that play such a huge role in the Han Solo mythos. You've got the like in the original building of the of the cockpit, they bought springs with they bought like switches with broken swings. And so you'll see springs. So you'll see Harrison Ford flipping a switch. And then if you watch it for the remainder of the scene, it'll just slowly start to fall down. You know, and and you see all this stuff just in there, and it's but it's it's such a beautiful, like even the imperfections of the original like movie, like even when this like stormtrooper hits his head on the door that's too low, like for me it just it's it's special, you know. Um, but there's there, I mean I, there's a couple more things I just want to make sure we cover, like the introduction of the emperor, like that is a build over two movies like you hear him gesture to two because you know in some sense if you just watched a new hope you had no idea that like tarkin wasn't the guy who was in charge um you would think it would be either darth vader or or him but then you know in the second in the empire strikes back you actually see him in a hologram um and i i kind of you know i go back and forth on whether i like the fact that they changed that in the special edition um because i i liked kind of the way that it looked it was different and then finally when you see the emperor 
in person. He's just this very menacing figure. You know, they even set it up to like, hey, you've been afraid of Darth Vader. Here's Darth Vader's entrance into the Death Star. They have just like a, a dozen stormtroopers and like some delegates. But when the Emperor arrives, like it's like a full garrison and things like that, which is just a subtle kind of like, um, I, I think kind of genius of like movie magic there to be like, hey, here, how do we tell you that this person's important without telling you this person's important? Well, that other guy you thought was pretty scary. Well, we only gave him this much. We gave this guy this much. <laughs> and so I, I love that. And just his role and everything was was just perfectly done in these movies. Um, the, the line that always jumped out at me uh, from Return of the Jedi is when Darth Vader's talking to one of the admirals. I can't remember who it is, but he, he says the line. He says, uh, the emperor is not as forgiving as I am. <laughs> <laughs> which i always thought was You're just forgiving a, yeah <laughs> that's a badass line you know yeah. because obviously what we know of vader is that he, he doesn't have much grace and here comes somebody who apparently is worse and that's just yeah that's a great setup that's right because i mean we're, we're on the tails of like i mean really empire strikes back is the vader show like the vader is the primary um villain and you know he chokes out like two or three guys <laughs> in charge of of star destroyers and he just wrecks them i think one of the things i really appreciate about um the empire strikes back is there's no galaxy ending weapon in that one (laughs) and so um but yeah like it's it's such a fascinating story with the emperor because um you don't know anything about him i mean you know a lot more about him now i mean too much i think it's at a certain point and after rise of skywalker but um he shows up and he's now you see the real person who's pulling the strings um and it's it's fascinating just to kind of see that kind of connection and how um he believes he's got everything figured out and even culminating that final battle i mean it's it's just so fascinating i mean i always wondered and they answered this question obviously later it's like why did why didn't um the emperor like ever use a lightsaber (laughs) like i feel like he should have like um, you didn't really realize or have the language of like like why he didn't until the end of the prequels. But um, I mean, the battles themselves, I think it goes to this point. Like the Emperor, for me, helps me understand all of the battles, the major, especially lightsaber battles that have happened through these films. And you're the one who first pointed this out to me. And I, I can't unsee it now when I watch the films. The original trilogy doesn't waste any action scene. Every action scene is done for the purpose of advancing the plot. And that's the same for the, I mean, the reason why the emperor doesn't have a lightsaber in that film is because that's not how he's seen as advancing the plot. You see it through the, this new power, the lightning coming out of the hands and that's all he needs. Right. And, um, but like the, the battle with Obi-Wan, it's, it's atrocious looking, especially when you consider (laughs) how like uh, Darth Vader is just like, just just cutting fools up in a rogue one just like 10 minutes before that scene um and and you know you look at the lightsaber battles and the prequels they just don't compare in terms of action quality and things like that i mean they've redone recently the the obi-wan battle scene in a way that's pretty cool and interesting um i I like it a lot but in some sense that misses the point it's not about the flair and the action you're and i'm stealing your thunder completely here it's about how it's telling the story about master and um, student, um, and then you know passing the baton off to Luke. 
Um, I mean, this in Empire Strikes Back, the lightsaber battle between Luke and, and Darth Vader is all about really about Luke learning that Vader is his father. And the final lightsaber battle is about Luke himself fighting against his own fear <laughs> in a certain sense. And uh, I, I mean, the, the Emperor it plays into that, not with a lightsaber, but with that final kind of blow of force that's meant to challenge Luke's fear. Um, and, and that scene is intense. I mean, that yeah. scene with the, like, I mean, Mark Hamill acts it so well, you know, when he yelled, when he's yelling to Darth Vader and, you know, ask begging to be saved. And, but, uh, you know, Ian McDermott is scary. <laughs> like the, <Yeah. laughs> the, the look on his face and the flash of the lightning and, you know, you see like the outline of Luke Skywalker's skeleton, like as he's being electrocuted, and it's like, yeah. like it's scary, man. And it is, it is so well done. Um, oh, but yeah. you're, but you're right. Like it gives you a sense for why is this person the one who's been pulling the strings the whole time? Like what makes him special? And he pulls out this power that we've never seen before, um, and starts just kind of almost like a, like a cat with a mouse, you know, just torturing Luke Skywalker um for defying him and uh it's it's pretty intense yeah and so it's so fascinating like i it's a credit to both actors because like you have like multiple people getting shocked and like their answers to show you their skeleton you know which it's it reeks of campy sunday like saturday morning cartoons like that's tom and jerry right there but <laughs> the way that they do it is it, it feeds into the moment and again not to belabor this point but the music here is powerful and how it transitions from the kind of the the way that john, that john williams transitions from the the kind of the the empire march into the the force theme is so powerful like him becoming anakin skywalker again um and throwing the emperor down the well like the the power well exhaust and everything that that's so so cool and like i remember like every time the part that got me is like when emperor kind of lets up and then he jumps back in and like, like mark hamill sells that so well um like you're right and it's just it, it it tells a story it tells a story now granted i will still i still believe that like the battle between anakin and obi-wan is the best of both worlds um like that there's something about the obviously the duel of the fates and the battle of the heroes songs that uh williams plays back and forth in that prequel but that also tells a very intimate story of the relationship between obi-wan and anakin so I'll, I'll hold that up but these these are just like every single one it's not wasted space um and even like all of the battles in the final like in return of the jedi and the culminating battle even in um, in the Battle of Yavin, like though there's important story work happening in even just the starship battles, like with Lando being kind of the uneasy like faith in Han Solo. You've got Han Solo who's losing, like fighting a losing battle on, on Endor. And like it really draws you in because they have three battles going on at once and you have no idea what's going to happen in any of them. And so I just remember the first time I'm watching that just being stressed because <laughs> it was just so many things going on, but they were telling such important stories simultaneously. I, for the life of me, I don't know how they did that. 
Because if that if anyone tried to recreate that today, we would just have the amazing Spider-Man 2 all over again. There's just too many things happening for the love of God. <laughs> yeah, um, having but- having three three endings, right? And it's, it's people have talked about this that like a new hope, you have one ending. You know, you've one battle going on, everything stays there. Empire Strikes Back, you have you have two, right? So you've got Han and or you've got leia and chewbacca and what's going on with han and then you've got luke fighting vader and that's it then you get to return of the jedi and you've got three different things going on a major space battle Endor, and then and it's just like from a directorial standpoint and editing standpoint it's got to be a nightmare and honestly it's pulled off like pretty well um and i i would love to see in with what you're talking about like how none of the none of the battles, none of the fights are wasted. Like they all develop character in some way. Um, I would love to see a return to that with whatever star Wars is next. Um, Is I think there was a bit of a somewhat of a misunderstanding, but also just the way cinema is now with the sequel trilogy. It's like a ton of action, a ton of jumping back and forth between stuff, especially in the JJ Abrams stuff. Like JJ Abrams thing is kind of like one thing to the next so fast that you don't get a chance to breathe. And at the end, you're like, I guess that was fun. <laughs> like yeah. I was, I was engaged, but like, I would love to see a slower star Wars movie, which is a weird thing to say, but you know, something that's much more deliberate, you know, about how it uses action um, and how it uses its, how the narrative unfolds. That's more like, more like empire. Cause you go to empire. I mean, there's a long section in the middle where there's really not a whole lot other than character development. You know, I mean, you've got Luke on Dagobah, you've got Han and Leia, um, you know, running from the Empire. There's a little bit of action there, but then you've got them on Cloud City. And there's really like, there's no big chases, there's no big explosions, there's no lightsabers drawn, like, other than, you know, Luke in the cave, which again, that's a huge character development moment, you know? Right. And it's not even a flashy fight. Like, it kind of reminds you of Anakin or of uh, Obi Wan and Vader. Yeah, on the Death Star, like there's not much that happens to it. So I just would love to see more deliberate storytelling in that way going forward. Yeah, and I, I love I love that cave sequence too because they don't try and explain it. Like they just let it go. Like they, I mean, Yoda says your weapons, you don't need them. You know, you, the only thing you find in that place is what you take with you. And then there's that weird fight between Luke and Vader, and he cuts his head off, which is you know, yikes, and. uh <laughs> And then the, the face mask pops off and it's Luke's face sitting there in the mask. And so, and they don't go back and like, I mean, it's, it's funny because there's a weird parallel here with the gospels, right? Where Jesus shares, shares a parable and his disciples are like, can you explain that? And he has to, but they don't do that here. Like they don't like Luke doesn't walk out and say, Hey, what just was that? And then Yoda's like, all right, let me tell you what that meant. Like, you don't get that. And so the audience kind of gets to, interpret that with the story and i think that's so cool like you know it, it's okay if things don't make sense um like we can leave it open-ended enough to where that that kind of matters but yeah you're right there's this slow sequence like you've got the the training sequences which were always my least favorite parts i've grown to love them now because it's it's also like there's a character that's also being developed here and you you referenced it um, in our last um, podcast, the character that's really developed through these three films is the Force. Because you hear about it from Obi-Wan, and then you have that perfect description <laughs> of the Force in Yoda. 
Um, and then the force itself is is expanded in the return of the Jedi without ever actually being addressed because now it, it, it has the power to be a bridge between um, the living and the dead in a very material kind of way. I think that's, I think that's really cool um, because you see in the original version, there was this character, the character who actually played in the suit of Vader who shows up. And then in the later versions, it's Hayden Christensen who shows up. Um, there's some, there's some mystery there about how, how all that works, but, but yeah, the force is another element that's being developed at this point um, that I think is really cool. But, um, but yeah, so yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah. I mean, you get the seeds, right. That are kind of sown in a new hope. Um, and then you get the use the force Luke. And that's right. That lets him blow up the death star. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you get the development of, what it actually is and how the Jedi interacts with it. And, um, and then, you know, at the beginning of return of the Jedi, you see Luke using it um, in a couple of different ways. I mean, he chokes when he chokes the Gamorrean guards on the way into, you know, Jabba's palace. Again, that's something about character because you're wondering like, okay, that's something Darth Vader does. Like what's happened to Luke? I mean, he's all dressed in black. He's coming in here kind of shady. He's choking people with the force. Like, where's Luke at at this point, you know, and it, it's, it, it's kind of builds some questions in your mind. Um, but, yeah. but yeah, I, it's, again, I think we talked about this uh, in the last, in the last podcast, but the forces and a superpower, you know, it's, right. it's, it's something the Jedi interact with um, that gives them power for sure. But in these original movies, it's not treated, you know, like they're Superman. That's right. Yeah, I love the. I mean, the great. Th- if nothing else, the sequels gave us the greatest meme for the Force uh, ever. It's like that's not how the Force works. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, from ha- the mouth of Han Solo himself. Yeah. Um, I love that so much. Um, and I mean, yeah, like the, the like the that that whole like I, I was also with you that my favorite when I was a kid was the Return of the Jedi. And I think it was probably because of the action. I was also obsessed with the color green. I think that goes back to my love of Power Rangers. The green Power Ranger is always my favorite. So green was obviously my favorite lightsaber color. But one thing I wish they had put in the movie that now we have seen just because they've added it to like deleted scenes and stuff like that is Luke assembling his new lightsaber. Right. I think that because in the Star Wars canon, um, and there's no way for us to know this when they would have originally released it in the Star Wars canon. The Jedi building his lightsaber is a really important rite of passage. And, you know, Luke is given his, you know, to begin and, and train and stuff. But him building his lightsaber and he's in Obi-Wan's hut. Right. He goes back to Obi-Wan's hut when he goes to Tatooine to train a little bit. And one of the things he does, he, you know, he finds some books and he, he finds like an old husk of, of Obi-Wan's lightsaber. Cause if you look at Obi-Wan's lightsaber um, at the end of episode four or at the beginning of episode four, end of episode three, and you look at Luke's lightsaber, like they're eerily similar. Um, and I'd always heard, and you can confirm or deny this for me because I'd never actually been told this until recently. And, and I'm not entirely sure if I believe it, but the green kyber crystal is supposed to be connected to qui-gon because obviously obi-wan takes qui-gon's lightsaber um after he's killed by darth maul and he keeps it with him um and and luke takes that kyber crystal and puts it in that 
um, lightsaber husk and builds his own lightsaber. Is that true? Yeah. So here's, here's some good lightsaber trivia for you. Um, I I think that is true. I don't know if it's true in the Disney verse. It was almost certainly true in the expanded universe. Um, So we'd have to look that up. I'm not really sure, but that at one point, whether that's now or before was the story behind the green lightsaber Um, in a, in a practical sense. So they, they use the green lightsaber because of um, the scene at the sail barge when Luke fights um, all the guards right on the skiff, because what they realized was a blue lightsaber was not going to show up against the blue sky um, in that scene. So they had to change the color of the lightsaber for that. So that's how we ended up with the green lightsaber um, and the other piece of that is like the lightsaber that he uses there. There's actually like three different designs of lightsabers that they use. They all look very similar in Return of the Jedi. One is the hero prop, which is the one you get the close up of, um, you know, when Darth Vader has it in his hands. And also the one in that deleted scene when Luke's, uh, you know, wiring it. But the one that they used uh, that's like, it's, it was basically the stunt prop was a leftover stunt lightsaber from A New Hope. Um, oh wow so that's yeah so that like commonality in the design you know is partially like partially story driven but also partially practical that Um, makes sense okay that's really helpful actually i've never known that part yeah yeah and it's it's interesting i mean this is a something to consider when we talk about the prequels but i i remember i i read both the novelization of a phantom menace and and the return of the jedi pretty pretty religiously after those movies came out because they was they were my favorite because they had a lot of action in them. And at the end of the Phantom Menace, like Obi-Wan actually is using Qui-Gon's lightsaber as his own because he loses his, like, you know, Darth Vader, I mean, Darth Vader, or Darth Maul kicks it down that shaft in Naboo. Um, but he goes and builds another one, which is interesting to me. I never knew why that was, but I always knew that there was some connection to a Jedi and his lightsaber. And, and I assumed that he would have kept it in the same same reason why he kept Anakin's lightsaber would have been why he kept Qui-Gon's um, and that kind of way. But again, you know, really interesting stuff uh, and connections like between like a connection back to Obi-Wan in that moment. And again, I wish they would have just put it in the film, but you know, I, I mean, you know, Hey, it's fine. We still got to see it. And it's just a part of it. And one of the things I loved about that novelization, just to end and cap on the, <laughs> of the lightsaber conversation is like in the novelization version, like Luke cannot figure it out, like how to put it together. And so every time he, he tries to activate it, it just comes apart. Um, and he has to like meditate on it and like put it together using the force. And that's the only way that it actually works, which I thought was an interesting twist that, that that's the spiritual connection to it and everything but that's, a, but anyway. that's interesting there's yeah. a there's a there's a book um, that takes place between a new hope and empire strikes back and this is in the new canon um called heir to the jedi it's a really good book um and it's about luke skywalker but in that he he somebody gives him a lightsaber that's from another jedi and he like basically takes it apart um to figure out like how how it works mm-hmm. uh, it's it's pretty interesting scene yeah i love that that's so cool well, um, we've talked about quite a bit. Obviously, there's a lot more in here. Um, before we turn to just like a quick thing about the special edition, because I, I mean, you can't talk about the original trilogy without talking about the special edition. But um, like, are there any other things like in that original trilogy arc that sticks with you um, in your kind of like memory of it? Like things that are really important, things that you 
I mean, just continually go back to uh, in your love of the thing. Because I mean, at the end of the last podcast, you said this, and I think this is something that stuck out, stuck out to me, is the fact that um, returning to the original, the, the original things that really brought you the joy in Star Wars is something that's been important for you. Um, and so what are those things in this original trilogy? Because clear, I mean, for all of us, for me, I think, especially of a certain generation, this is the thing that we come back to. So what is that thing in addition to anything that we've talked about here? Yeah, there's all the, there's all the kind of um, set pieces and technology and, you know, uh, the music, like all those things that you find are, are so Star Warsy. But the one thing that I think is just almost impossible to replicate is um, the Luke Han and Leia vibe. Yeah. Like there's just something about the way that those three characters fit together um, that you really believed that they were who they were, you know? Um, I think to maybe to the detriment of Mark Hamill's career, <laughs> they yeah. Luke Skywalker, not so much with Harrison Ford, but like there's just something about those three either when they're together as a triumvirate or you've got two, you know, together in some way that you really believe their friendship and you believe that they've been through these, these battles as part of the rebellion and that they're kind of on this journey together from the moment that they're all together on the death star uh, in a new hope, you know, all the way up to that final scene, you know, where like, Leia comes up and kind of grabs Luke's arm when he's looking at the, the force ghosts, you know, and he kind of turns around and goes back to the party and they're all there at the end. Like there's just something about that bond, you know, between those three characters. That's just like a lightning in the bottle. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. And they, they're never really able to recapture that. They no, tried they, desperately. they tried, they tried, they tried hard, uh, not as much in the prequels, I didn't think. Yeah. Um, he was really trying to do something different there. And I, I mean, again, I, I applaud him for that. But yeah, and they, they tried in the sequels um, to, you know, do the Finn, Poe and Ray thing. But it just didn't come together in the same way. I think it was just one of those like special movie magic things that you just can't can't recreate. Yeah, it's like you said, lightning in a bottle. You know, and I, I remember hearing you ask this question years ago. And as before we, like I said, the last thing we'll say, talk about before we transition to the special edition, but there's there's something to be said about all that has become of Star Wars. And there's been a lot of good stuff, don't get me wrong, but there's been just a lot of strange things that have been really rough. Um, I remember you asking this question once and it's kind of stuck with me. It's like, maybe Star Wars should have just been these three movies because you have that scene where Han, Leia, and Luke are there. Luke is, um, you know, Viking death to his father for some reason. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I always thought that was the most curious thing. It's like Eastern religion archetype, archetype but also Norse death rituals. <laughs> like, I thought that was just so interesting. Like, the, the scene where they're all sitting there watching Qui-Gon burn, you know, in that one room. I'm just like, this is really intense. Um, that That is these two very distinct religious practices are brought together at this moment, but I mean, Hey, it's fine, but they're there. They're happy. They've won. Um, it's over that everything's at peace and maybe it should have just been that and been done. I mean, do you have any great thoughts about that? Cause in some sense, like, I, I think that there's some wisdom to that. 
just letting it be and stop trying to recreate it, recatch lightning in a bottle, as you said, or just try and do it over. Like it just, that was a great set of stories. Yeah. I think it's, it's not perfect, but in the way it's perfect, you know, um, there's, there's flaws in those movies as there are in any movie, but the way the beginning, middle and end of that story is just so good yeah. um, that I, I am almost of the belief that it should have just been those three and that's it. Um, or if they're going to do more to stay far, far away <laughs> from those three unintended but yeah exactly which is which is obviously hard to do right because then you don't get to capitalize yeah. both liter- literally and figuratively on all those common images and characters and whatever um but you know if george lucas would have said okay i'm going to make another three movies but i'm not going to do a prequel i'm not going to tell the anakin skywalker story i'm going to go a thousand years in the past or i'm going to go a thousand years in the future and just start over with a brand new story you know and just leave kind of leave that uh in its museum-like state uh i think there's a lot of people there's there's a lot of us that i think would have felt a lot less anxiety over the last 20 years whether you talk about the reception of the prequels or the reception of the sequels and all that's happened in those um it, it hasn't been without like missteps and it hasn't been without really legacy changing um yeah moments you know for those characters that were just so well executed in those first three movies and i mean i think some of it's like so for example you know the pressure is if we're gonna do our own thing this thing i mean in the prequels like in some sense that's the one that they probably could have saved face the most on and and prevented the necessity the necessity of having to retell the story in the sequels that they chose to do because if if he would have gone two hundred thousand years before bby just told the stories of like the first jedi right that would not have impacted at all you know obi-wan anakin stuff like that padme um and i feel like the pressure to have to when disney bought it and they decided they wanted a sequel have to pick up that story because that's all it's ever been told but the um thing i really the thing i really wonder is if the pressure comes down to, because there's a similar kind of pressure right now. I mean, in a very minor degree and compared to Star Wars, Star Wars is like category shifting, like paradigm breaking, but like in the Power Rangers, like right now universe, they've got all these actors that play the original characters that are getting to a point where their, their action movie days are probably vastly approaching their end. Um, and so I'm wondering how much of the pressure was is like when Disney bought it, they're like, okay, Mark Hamill, um, Harrison Ford, and Carrie Fisher, they're not getting any younger. They're at the age where they can still do some stuff. I don't think anybody would have predicted that Carrie Fisher would have just had that freak incident and, and her passing would have happened right then. But you know, they're at an age where they can still kind of do stuff. And so let's do something with them like that's a pressure they probably felt but at the same time like just allowing that just to be episodic within itself (laughs) like let it be and then tell these other stories because now it almost seems like they can't do that because that's the only story they've ever told and they back themselves into a corner Mm -hmm. so yeah there was a weird there was a weird tension that with the disney with the sequel trilogy and i guess we'll get into this in our sequel podcast but yeah in that they both had to embrace but move on from those original legacy characters 
Yeah. Um, but they they had to it almost felt like they had to reject them, right? Yeah. In order in order for them to move forward. Um and that just wasn't wasn't the right approach, um, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, I mean, in some sense, they they're trying to re- replicate shot for shot almost exactly what they do in the original trilogy because now that we know that Obi Wan is not just this random guy, he's he himself is a kind of legacy character, Yoda, legacy character, and all these other figures. Um, but like, there's a way of honoring, like Obi Wan dies, sure. But Obi-Wan doesn't die as a calloused, like, you know, guy who's just, like, willingly giving himself over to despair. Yoda doesn't even die that way. Um, and so I think that it's 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 interesting that they chose to say take such a hard right turn with Luke in that way that was different. And, and I mean, we'll talk about that with, with it when we get to the sequel trilogy. Like, they honor, I think, Obi-Wan in varying degrees. Like, even though he and Luke have a fundamental disagreement about Darth Vader, um, I still think that they they present his side of the argument, I think, well. Like, these are two, like, that's the whole different perspective point that he's trying to articulate. These two people, Obi-Wan and Luke, have these very differing opinions on on on, on Darth Vader, but they, they actually, I think, in, in maintain the integrity of both positions in their kind of work with him. So that's, that's really helpful. Okay. Well, let's just talk about just real quick, the, the special edition, because this was, this was the thing that kind of reignited a new generation of the star Wars, but a lot of hits, a lot of misses. Um, so what are some of the things that you think were bad that they <laughs> tried to do? Yeah, we can do things. We like things. We don't like, uh, yeah. think things I don't like, I don't like Greedo shot or Han shot first. Um, you know, that whole, that oh, whole the classic debate debacle you know i mean i just thought it was always such a cool moment when han just totally just wasted him yeah. just waste greedo um i mean his life is under threat anyway like and it's it's the beginning of han solo's character like he's kind of this callous guy you know who's all in it for himself so of course he would just waste greedo without a second thought so that that change always baffled me um and how nobody gave george lucas enough pushback to say no to that just always kind of stumped me as well um one thing that's been well documented is just stuffing stuff stuffing things in front of the camera you know and just like you know making all kinds of crazy stuff in the background that's like we don't need a giant ronto um bucking a jawa off of its back you know as luke comes into Moss Eisley. <laughs> like that's, that's just right something that we need um and then, of course, like the the other two changes that I think are are missteps are the musical number in Java's Palace. Oh yeah, which oh, which which apparently was part of the plan in the very beginning, and they just couldn't pull it off. But it didn't need it. It takes away from kind of the CD vibe of Java's Palace when they do this weird musical, you know, number. The CG in that scene is not good. No. Um, Even then, for that. Even for then, yeah. And then the last one is, and this actually was not a special edition change, if I remember correctly. It was a change for like the two thousand like five ish, two thousand seven ish release. Is is when Luke is being electrocuted by the Emperor. Back to that scene, Darth Vader. For whatever reason, they made him say no in that season, and he's there in that uh, scene. He's like, no, no, no. And then he picks up the Emperor, and it's like 
we know that that's how he feels. Like we see that wrestling and kind of the cuts back and forth to the camera and him glancing back and forth between the emperor and Luke, like he's torn in that moment. And we see that decision happen. You know, it's the show, it's the show don't tell thing. Um, And it's like, we see that decision happen. We don't need him to verbalize it. So those are like the, the ones that jump out to me in terms of what's good. There's some great, like establishing shots that they add like Moss Eisley, Cloud City, you know, that give you like a, a sense of the scale of those things um, that are really good. I think overall, the special effects, especially in the space battles, like what they did in Return of the Jedi, what they do at the Death Star fight in A New Hope, like are really good um, and they hold up really well. So there are some changes that they made that I think really advance things. And then other ones that are like, you just, you, they took some, really cool or really iconic scenes and just kind of undermine them a little bit. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Like, uh, you know, as you talk about like all of the things that like the, I mean, it's, it's comical as people are coming into like, as Luke and, and Obi-Wan are coming into Moss Eisley, um, <laughs> like all of the people that walk in front of the camera, like, cause it's not a busy street. Like even when they turn the camera and face in front of it, where did those people go? Like it just logistically, it makes no sense. Um, but it's funny, like talking about the Ronto and then they added, you know, the, the sand troopers, like with the, I always forget the name of the creatures that they're on the backs of, but like all of those, even Jabba, like thin Jabba that they put in right. in episode four, like they all turn into these toy sets. And so I am positive that the reason why some of those things were put in there is entirely merchandising choices, which is just so cheap, you know, because like, I mean, when he first made it, he had no, like, he had no idea of the merchandising that would happen as a result of the show. I mean, um, there's some, I mean, it's great, like, because I have a lot of it. I mean, sitting in my room right now, but uh, at the same time, like, it was just, it seems like it was just made for that kind of cheap sense. And yeah, so I agree, like, like the crowding of the screen is just really terrible. I do hate that Darth Vader thing so much because I I just love seeing because he also he doesn't have a face yet somehow you can see the emotion somehow magically like whoever is in that actor that was able to pull like in that suit that was able to pull that that emotion out while wearing a full-fledged mask (laughs) like is just genius and I don't know if it was a try an attempt to call back to the death of Padme um, I don't know if that's what they're trying to do, but like, I mean, there are better ways to do those kinds of callbacks because that scene didn't work either with the death of Pat. When he shouts, no, it kind of, it's become a meme, you know, it's kind yeah, of that's right. Um, yeah. so it's like, don't call back to that. Cause that wasn't good. No, I yeah. watch, I watch the, it, I like watching the, the new versions and the, uh, the special edition and stuff, but I also have a copy of the despecialized edition. Yes. Um, and so like when I show my children, star Wars, Lord willing someday, I will show them the despecialized edition that's more like the original. Yeah. I mean, for me, a couple of the things, so the things I really don't like, I've, I've, I've kind of mentioned one of the things that I think, um, and it's, it's the show don't tell thing again, like when Luke fights the ice monster, um, I kind of liked in the original that they didn't show the ice monster. Like you just saw kind of the edge of him. And so it was like, you kind of like in your mind, you get to paint that picture um, the stuff I really do appreciate about it. So, for example, like you talked about the establishing shots, like that pan back of Moss Eisley, fantastic. The not having to use like the Vaseline to cover up the wheels of the speeder 
great <laughs> like such good stuff um like i mean just simple stuff like that but cloud city for me was the thing that i really liked um because it was just such a closed set it felt so claustrophobic i loved that in the special edition they opened it up so that you felt like you were at a city in the clouds right like that was really really cool to me um and it's 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 the thing i think i like the most about it that musical number was just so bad i know it just so it bad. just t- takes you right out of the movie you know it does um, it's just so strange well and it's such a specific music choice right and i i mean you know not to again to defend john williams i mean the whole idea of like this scene it goes against the entire subtlety of the music that he creates in any given scene um and i also miss i also miss yub yub nub at the end right. of uh return of the jedi like the original celebration song i just i prefer that way over the or way yeah way more than what's in there huh. now it's yeah it's again the subtlety of it like i don't think john williams ever scored um like a ton of like the local music like that would have so like famously when when they did like the canteen music for the force awakens um they had to get someone else to do it but um like his music is so plays in so well the scene like you have this weird like rock jazz music that was playing in jabba's palace i mean at the backdrop of this poor slave girl like you're trying to establish the ruthlessness of jabba um and you cover that up with this this weird music and I mean, they even make it worse because you have that one singer who says, "Uh oh, like, OK, so clearly this is a joke <laughs> kind of thing. Like, I mean, the original version, that was like scary. <laughs> that was very scary because like yeah. you did, I mean, because you're about to find out that Leia's in that role. And so now she's in that kind of precarious situation. Um, but yeah, that musical thing was really interesting. What did you think specifically? I mean, there's I, I you may not have an opinion on this at all, but the shifting of. Um, the older actor as Anakin to Hayden Christensen. I've gone back and forth on that. I really liked it when it first happened and the, the more the time has gone on, the less I understand it. Um, I liked it originally because I went back to Obi-Wan's words of like, you know, when, when he became Darth Vader, he ceased to be Anakin Skywalker. Right. And so there's a sense that like when he becomes Darth Vader, he dies, but he also comes back to the light. Right. And so the, the, person that dies dies as anakin skywalker and he dies as older anakin skywalker um Mm. so to me it would make more sense if if it just would have stayed as it was um but it's not one of the changes that like offends me like i i understand the why the the why behind it um although i feel bad for obi-wan that scene because it's like wait you get to be young and handsome as a ghost and i'm still you know i'm still stuck here as al guinness yeah (laughs) that's so funny uh well do you feel the same way about the shift in empire when they change from the the older actor to the to just basically the new palpatine like straight out of empire i mean uh straight out of revenge of the sith yeah it's a it's a little bit too close to Revenge of the Sith Palpatine for my liking. Like, I think they could have done, because he doesn't look exactly the same in, in Return of the Jedi as he does in Revenge of the Sith. So I wish that they would have made him look a little bit closer to the Return of the Jedi look. But I also understand, again, like why they made that change. But I think just from like a, a pure cinema 
uh, kind of aspect. I wish they just kept it as it was because that's how it was recorded. It's like, just leave it, you know? Um, yeah. But again, I, I get the rationale. Yeah, but they had some lines in there too. Like, I mean, it's again, it's like removing the subtlety of it to making it more overt. Like they make it about Anakin Skywalker, about Obi-Wan. Like, I mean, because in some sense, like they're kind of playing their hand because everyone has now seen the scene where he talks about being Luke's father and all that kind of stuff too. Like that's, that's, that's a big part of it as well. And so, um, yeah. And I think the best note to kind of wrap this up on is the idea that like, when you want to introduce someone to star Wars, you probably want to give them not <laughs> the, uh, the special edition for sure. So anyway, any final thoughts on the original trilogy as we wrap it up here um, today? It's great. It's yeah. just, you know, one of the one of the best little pieces of cinema um, in the history of movies mm-hmm. and is like the foundation for everything that has come come since. So it's yeah. just it's and it just remains really good. There's still if you watch them today, like they hold up well surprisingly <laughs> yeah um but you just still get those moments of like significance and nostalgia uh that you got you know 25 years ago yeah like you get to kind of be a kid again um mm-hmm. i have one last anecdote that i mean kevin smith who's who's a famous kind of like star wars apologist like he went and saw the force awakens on like a a very small cinema because that was where he saw the original trilogy when or the original force like the new hope when he was a kid to kind of rekindle that and like every time that i've ever seen a star wars film like in a movie theater for for me that's always been a big part of it so like for example listeners uh luke and i we saw the entire sequel trilogy together um in theaters in the same theater (laughs) um every time it came out there's something about that was that was always even though i deeply um struggle with with those movies there's still something about that that recovered that and captured that original kind of wonder of star wars for me because it was that experience too you know and you know that's i think that's my favorite part of the sequel trilogy is watching it there with you at penn cinema um over all those years ago i actually still have it's funny um uh luke you can see this because you're on you're on the camera our listeners won't be able to i still have the original ticket stub from us seeing the force awakens um in uh december 17th 2015 at 10 15 p.m i got that sitting right here and i have the um i have the following ticket stub sitting right above it um i, I didn't keep rise of skywalker though <laughs> uh so you know that's a big part of it for me so yeah these movies are great um We'll, we'll dive into the prequels next time. But uh, remember, give us a review if you think about it. Uh, we'll be here uh, covering some Star Wars things in the anticipation and lead up to Obi-Wan on May 25th. And so stay tuned. We got lots more on our way. And stay tuned to the feed for other Art House um, Roadshow reviews and podcasts on a variety of subjects. Good night, everyone. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on Art House Roadshow. We'll see you next time.